A court case from 1881 was cited in a 2022 trial against a private lender. It sounds crazy, but such citations are not uncommon. Historic precedents can have remarkably long lifespans and relevance that outlives their plaintiffs by decades. This raises the question, how does a case from 150 years ago fit with today's laws? Welcome to episode 10 of Ready, Set, Debt. I'm Ulrika, Director of Sparrow Loans, a private property lender in Australia. In Hull v. Smith, a decision from 1881, the UK court found that second mortgages and their assigns were entitled to receive notice of the first mortgagee's intention to exercise their power of sale. In lieu of the notice, the second mortgagees were entitled to recover any lost value and to be compensated for damages. The defendant of the case, William Smith, had taken out a first mortgage on a property for £450 in April 1872. He then mortgaged his property to Thomas Pearson £440 a year later. With the agreement of Smith and the property owner, Pearson transferred the mortgage to the plaintiff, Hull. The owner of the first mortgage contained the usual power of sale under the proviso that Mr. Smith notified the second mortgage holders, executors, administrators and assigns. Providing this notice would have allowed the second mortgagees to pay off any amount owing on the indenture. Mr. Smith sold the mortgage property in 1877 without giving notice to Hull. Obviously, this created many problems for Hull. He had an interest in the property and so he brought forward a legal motion claiming an improvident sale and at undervalue. Hull sought to recover any deficiency of price lost by an improper sale and wanted imbursements for any damages dealt by Mr. Smith's failure to give notice. This was especially significant for Mr. Hull, who had secured his mortgage debt with the property. The case reinforced the principle of giving notice as a condition of exercising one's power of sale. The judge argued that debtors might want to intervene and pay off their mortgage if they received notice of a sale. In his ruling, the judge opened the door to a more dynamic and predictable financial system which worked on clear principles and rules. 150 years later, the same precedent set by Hull v. Smith remains an important keystone in legal proceedings as UK law heavily influenced Australian law. However, the system has become more complex and the rule of law is no longer so black and white. It depends on clauses and conditions more than ever now. For private lenders trying to sell a secured property in the event of default, they need to give notice and have the authority to exercise their power of sale. So what grants a lender the authority to take such a decisive step? In a 2022 trial, a private lender advanced millions in capital to a borrower secured by a first registered mortgage over a commercial property. Let's call our private lender Dorothy Dollar and our borrower Sam. Now, Sam had initially signed an offer for a loan with a different private lender who we'll call Bob Buck. Bob Buck charges a break cost if Sam decides to back out of the offer. For one reason or another, Sam decided they didn't want to work with Bob Buck anymore, so they turned to Dorothy Dollar despite agreeing to proceed with Bob Buck. This was Sam's first pitfall. His decision to drop Bob gave Bob the right to lodge a caveat on the property, granting Bob an interest in the property. This will become important later. Sam's initial loan term with Dorothy Dollar was four months. However, it was extended for an additional two months and then three months on the proviso that Sam accepted the extension fees and interest charges for that extension. Dorothy and Sam had agreed to an extension fee and prepaid interest calculated at the lower rate of 2.5% per month on the loan extension term. 
The amount due at the end of the three-month extension was about $10 million plus the extension fee and three months interest at 2.5% per month. However, Dorothy became aware of the caveat that Bob Buck decided to lodge over the secured property when Bob saw that Sam had reneged on his signed offer. This led Dorothy to serve a notice alleging a default on the loan, a non-monetary default that occurred before the extension agreement as per the caveat date. Dorothy claimed that the non-monetary default breached the conditions of the existing agreement which would not have resulted in the acceptance of the extension agreement, thus claiming now a monetary default as the loan was due if the extension was not in place. I know it sounds confusing, but bear with me. Under the original agreement, only if there was a monetary default would Dorothy have the power to sell the property to recover any outstanding amounts from the sale of the property. This would include the higher rate of interest that Dorothy claims that the loan is now owing because it has become overdue as the extension was never technically granted. So she issued the notice to exercise her power of sale and proceeded. Once Sam received the notice, he sought to negotiate a suspension of enforcement action to pursue opportunities to sell the property or refinance and pay out the lender. After failing to secure an alternative funding avenue, Dorothy sold the property above an independent value as appraisal of the property. They recovered their outstanding amounts, including default interest of 5% per month. These series of events became the crux of the case. The court sought to determine whether Dorothy was in the right to exercise the power of sale in selling the property and to charge also default interest at 60% per annum. So what did they find? The court discovered that Dorothy Dollar was not authorized to exercise any power of sale. A borrower's default must be monetary for authorization to sell the property security, which means being late on repayments or being late to repay the loan in full. Now, because there was the extension agreement, Sam had negotiated that contract extension, which capitalized a new cost of the extension, which meant that future repayments had been technically covered at that time. The problem was not a monetary default, but rather a non-monetary default. Therefore, Dorothy had not suffered any material losses, yet. Sam was technically in non-monetary default. Rather than being late on payments or exiting the loan, he had actually breached the conditions of the contract by taking out a loan when he had unresolved obligations to another lender. This non-monetary default, courtesy of his decision to ditch Bob Buck after signing an offer, would have allowed Dorothy to charge some penalty but not sell the property. Yet again, we see that charging fees are based on conditions and clauses. The 5% per month default interest charge that Dorothy was asking for was found to be unlawful. The interest rate was seen to be a default rate as no commercial borrower would take out a loan at a rate of 60% per annum as a normal rate. The judge took the view that the default interest rate should only be high enough to compensate the lender for losses or opportunity costs flowing from the contract breach. The court found no justification for such a significant increase in the rate charged. Therefore, they could only recover interest at the lower rate of 2.5% per month. Both the 1881 and 2022 cases highlight the importance of notice and authority. Borrowers and lenders should heed the rules and principles outlined in the law and loan contracts. Special attention should always be paid to the structuring and documentation of loans, but also the sequence of conduct of the parties involved, as this can become crucial information in justifying actions that would be taken. When lenders and borrowers understand their obligations to each other, they can better prepare for their commitment without surprises. 
The non-monetary default coming in from Bob Buck's caveat affected the representations that the borrower made to Dorothy Dollar, and this developed into a case with serious outcomes for the borrower where their property was sold. As the property was not sold under market value, the borrower could not claim any losses due to the improper sale of the property. Nevertheless, the long-term value of that property could have been far more than the sale price achieved in 2022. A key takeaway for borrowers is don't sign anything you can't commit to because you may not be able to predict the downstream effects of the consequences. The amount owing on the caveat was probably far less than the cost of the breakdown of the relationship between Dorothy Dollar and Sam, the cost of the legal proceedings, and the opportunity cost of having your property sold before you were ready to do so. It's also important for lenders to understand when they can and can't take action. Although they achieved a fair market value price for the property, they were not in their right to exercise their power of sale, even though the judge was satisfied with the outcome. I hope this review of these two cases has given you some insight into when lenders have the authority to exercise their power of sale and also how you can navigate that without any surprises. Thank you for listening to Ready, Set, Debt. I hope you have a lovely weekend ahead and I'll see you, well, more like you'll hear me next week.